hi and welcome back to the turning 30 podcast a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30 i'm your host life coach emma wilson and i'm here to help you feel better get unstuck and be more confident in your 30s now this week's guest is the first ever celebrity guest i have a tv star who's coming on Aliza Ben Shalom, who you may recognize her name. She has recently starred in the Netflix series Jewish Matchmaking, which was a reality TV show following Aliza and her matchmaking activities, trying to pair up young, actually, not even just young, lots of different age groups of, I think it was mostly heterosexual couples and their experience of leading and coaching them through going on their dates and, you know, getting to know the clients. And I absolutely loved it. I actually started first watching Indian matchmaking and really fell in love with that series and yeah then when Jewish matchmaking came out it was also really interesting for me as somebody who is Jewish to see this TV show and to see the series and how uh, Elisa worked and wow Elisa has such a contagious energy it really makes complete sense to me why she would be asked to come on the show as the matchmaker she you'll see in the in the episode if you haven't already watched the tv series itself she has a lot of really interesting ideas and methods for how to match people and I just not that I necessarily agree with every single one but I really love her approach to dating and it's that combination of looking at a match as you know something that has to have the chemistry and that uh, attraction and the that really you know natural compatibility but also the more logistical logical parts of a match which is things like religion things like lifestyle and background and values so I loved having this conversation and I know that you're going to love it too some of the things that we dive into is talking about what it means to be a good match. So what really, what are the things that have to line up in order to find a life partner? And then we talk more specifically about dating, how you can know if you actually should go on a second date with somebody and when you just don't want to go on that date. And she has a very uh, specific opinion about this and we also talk a lot about getting the ick because the ick is something that is so talked about now in the dating world so I asked her her thoughts on it and also all about how dating is about collecting data about somebody and really deciding based on that data whether you can actually live your life with someone or not and I really I love the idea of matchmaking I think that it gets or it has a taboo reputation or it has like a bit of a bad rep when we think about matchmaking we're all for you know our our generation is all for the dating apps and some of us also really don't mind being set up and letting our friends set us up with other people but when it comes to the thought of paying somebody of hiring somebody to help us find a match I think it can make us feel almost desperate or you know, when I think about how I felt about it when I was single, it was like, okay, that was a last resort. But actually, since I've been working more with clients who have explored matchmaking, and Nikki, uh, a client of mine who 
was on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about her amazing story, how she met her, her husband. They actually met through a matchmaking agency. And I really coached her through that experience and that decision to sign up with a matchmaker. And now, obviously, looking back through the, you know, as a matchmaker decision, she ended up meeting her husband, now the father of her child. So I just want to say, and this isn't an advert for anything, this isn't sponsored by anything with matchmaking, I'm not a matchmaker myself, but I really urge you to be open to that idea and to think that there are many different ways that we can meet people. And if you are at the point where dating isn't necessarily feeling so comfortable for you, then it's okay to take action. It's okay to not just expect that dating should be easy, that meeting somebody just should come naturally. And I think this is a misconception that so many of us have when we are single is that we have this belief that we should just know how to go out there and meet somebody. Or when it comes to dating, we should just have all the skills that we want or that we should just feel like it's something natural and flowy. And we obviously get these perceptions from looking at other people and their dating experiences and also from looking at people in TV shows and movies and I just want to say that it's bullshit. You know, I don't hold myself out to be a dating coach specifically, but I do really see the value of actually working on your ability to date and also your availability, your emotional availability to start a relationship. And this leads nicely into what I wanted to talk about with you just before we start the episode is that my brand new course, Next Chapter in Love, is now out and it's available for purchase. And I want to just explain to you a little bit about what the course is and why it can be a good fit for you if you are looking to upgrade your current dating life or your current love life and you're looking to do that healing work because it's going to completely transform the way that you look at your current relationship status and the way that you will hopefully build your next chapter in your love life. So it's really aimed at those of you who are feeling left behind and panicked about where you are right now in your love life. And I think for for most of you that are listening, that will be that either you are single or you are just about to be single, maybe you're going through a breakup, or maybe you are still in a relationship, but you are thinking or wanting to leave that relationship, but you're having a lot of fears about being alone and about that next chapter that will come your way if you are to go through a transition into single life. And it's really built specifically for individuals in their 30s who are feeling fed up, and are ready to take control of being single. So it's very much focused on living your own path, what I call turning the volume up on you. So for those of you that feel just worn down, maybe you're feeling, which I hear a lot, like you're a failure because you haven't met somebody, or like the future feels bleak, you know, you're fed up of dating, maybe you've been dating for years and you've not met that person, maybe you've just got back into the dating world and you're like, oh my god, what is going on, this isn't for me 
and you're just ready for a change. And not only is it going to help you to really own this time of being single, it's also going to help you to consciously do the work. So when I say the work, I mean the healing work, the coaching work, the the internal work to put yourself in the best possible position to meet somebody. So if you feel like you're ready to build your next chapter in love, if you are in that space of just feeling a little bit stuck or fed up or lost or even panicked, then this course is for you. I built this course really with the version of Emma in mind from a few years ago when I first got out of my long-term relationship and I was like, oh my goodness, like, I wasn't feeling happy about being single. I was low-key panicking about having children in the future. And if I was ever going to meet the right person, I went out and started dating and was like, oh my God, I was traditionally a very, what I would say like a good and active data. And I found that the dating landscape had completely changed in the years that I had been in my relationship with the apps and everything. And I just felt really lost and I didn't know where to turn. And I didn't feel like I really wanted to get a dating coach. So that's something that I want to really put out there. I'm not a dating coach. This course is built out of my own experience of being single from the ages of 33, 34, 35, in my 30s. I'm really understanding how to find that correct balance between actually going out and building the life that I want, whilst also being ready to focus on dating. Because a lot of people, you know, they say to me when they look at my Instagram, I actually had a post this week. I put a post up about uh, speaking about feeling left behind in your 30s. And I was writing a little bit about it. And I got some comments on the post saying, yeah, but as women, we just don't have the luxury of time when we're in our 30s. We don't have the luxury to not go out and meet someone. And I was like, okay. But that time pressure and that feeling like we really have to go out and do that is only going to hold us back. And it really is about finding that equilibrium, that balance between going out and living a life that you actually enjoy. That isn't all about dating. That's not all consuming. It's not about meeting somebody. You don't need to meet somebody to feel that happiness, but also not forgetting it. Because I think that so many people don't have that balance. Either they're fully in their space of being alone, which sometimes we do want to do. And I do think that it's amazing to have those periods. And I for sure had them during those years of being single. But we don't want to get lost and stuck in that space because at the same time, we want to make sure we're taking mindful and conscious action to go out and meet somebody. And also dealing with things like rejection and how we can deal with that feeling of losing hope. And this course is set up exactly for that. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, I urge you to go and check it out. It's a special January sale for the next couple of weeks. So there's a reduced price for the launch price. And I, yeah, I really urge you to go and uh, see if it's for you. If you have any questions about it, you can feel free to message me. And I'm looking forward to seeing those of you inside the course. It's included a private community where I'll be communicating with you all. There's a private Facebook group. That's how we will uh, get to know each other. And you'll also meet other individuals who are single in their 30s who are in exactly the same position as you. And then also it's self-study video modules. There's going to be hours and hours and hours. I think I've actually not calculated it, but it's 
probably around 10 hours of self-study videos accompanied by Notion templates. So Notion is the productivity software that I use to help you with your practical, the practical sides of coaching. So you'll get access to lots of free Notion templates, which is almost like having your own workbook that sits alongside. It's even better than a workbook because it's very interactive and you can update it as you go along. And then also some live bonus workshops. So I invite any of you who relate to what I've been talking about now in relation to your current love life and your current relationship status to go and check it out. And in the meantime, let's dive into the episode with Elisa from Jewish Matchmaking. Hey, Elisa, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Emma. Thank you for having me. So I've been doing the podcast for over three years now, and it's the first time in three years of many guest episodes that I told my mum who was coming on the podcast I spoke to her like an hour ago and she was like no way I love Elisa send her my love tell her how much I love her so I wanted to start by telling you that you're the only guest I've had so far that my mum really got excited about Jewish mothers love me I kind of I do them a favor you know (laughs) yeah exactly it's totally a Jewish mum thing for sure so yeah I thought we'd just start off by hearing a little intro from you and I guess what I would love to know is how you got into the world of matchmaking like what's your story of becoming a matchmaker and obviously this huge year that you've had that you ended up being the Jewish matchmaker on Netflix Yeah, it's been pretty incredible this year, (laughs) like no other year before. So I got started in matchmaking. I had young kids at home. You know, I was very mommy, mommy, you know, nursing and carrying my babies and wearing them everywhere. And (laughs) and then I was like, oh, my gosh, I need, you know, more than like, I need I need some like adult conversations. And I called a girlfriend of mine who had young kids and I was like, what else do you do in your life? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what can I do now? Help me. I, I, I can't get a job. I don't want to get a job. I want to be home with my kids, but I need to do something else. What else can I do? And she's like, oh, you can be a matchmaker online. And I was like, sign me up. I don't know what I, I don't even know what you're talking about, but it sounds great to me. And I got started by working online as a matchmaker and click, 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 just setting people up and working as a volunteer shadchan, as they would call it. Wow. Amazing. And then look what happened. Look what's come from that. Stop. Yes. I mean, so look, I had this huge dream. After I started talking to people, I started coaching them. Then I'd really get to know them. And then I felt connected to them. And so then I do matchmaking and I do coaching. And then they're like, you know, there's other people in the world, other matchmakers, other coaches, like they need your help. You, you're you doing something right. I like what you're doing. And I was like, mm. okay. And so then I started coaching some other matchmakers and some other coaches. And then I started building my own team. And then it just kept growing and going from there until I was doing my own also podcast. I had released a book. I self-published two books and I started writing online. I I mean, like it was like, I didn't know where else to go from there. And I was like, no, I just like, I have a big mission. I want to help people get married and I want to change the world and I want to reach a lot of people. And I really need a big platform to do that. And I started visioning and dreaming what else and how else I could reach the world. Mm. And this show kind of came up. It actually came up because Indian matchmaking was a very popular show. Did you hear of that? Of course, yeah. I watched yeah. Indian matchmaking first. And then when I saw Jewish matchmaking, obviously, as a right. Jewish woman, I was like so excited about it. So yeah, 
Me too. <laughs> I watched it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like Jewish people. It's like the same it's thing. The same. Yeah. And right. I can say that as a, as a life coach, I work as for women who are feeling left behind in their thirties. I work with a lot of uh, Jewish women, but also Indian women or women who from religions. Cause I think that it was so similar. We all come yes. from that same, you know, the aspect of having a close knit community and like having lots of people know your business and also the right. extra added family pressures. And it's like all the good stuff, but Obviously, if you're like feeling left behind and you're unmarried at the age of 30 plus, that can, it can be quite stressful. So yeah, right. like when I was watching Indian Matchmaker as well, I was like, wow, it's really, really crazy how similar our cultures are. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I find a lot of faith-based matchmaking is just very similar. We are into our communities. We value finding a partner that fits in with our families mm. and it's a big part of how we make a decision. Yeah, totally. So let's dive in already to matchmaking. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think in your experience and obviously your vast experience of being a matchmaker for the past however many years, but also from your own marriage and your own journey in love, what makes a good match? Oh, oh. <laughs> what a question. <laughs> what makes a good match? Let's just get to the heart of it. So... <laughs> Okay, so I actually obviously have spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I came up with a system that I call Soulmate Clarity, which is how do I know if this is the one? And really at the root of the question of is this the one is how do I know if this is the right one? How do I know if this is not just a good match, but a great match and a smart mm -hmm. match that should last for a lifetime? So I have a couple of different categories that we have to move through. So number one are qualities. Qualities include the values, the things that I want in a partner and in my life, and the personality of the person that I want to be with. And those things need to be in alignment to a fairly high degree because I'm going to live with you for the rest of my life and I'm going to pick you over all these other people. We have to match, you know, being a matchmaker, the matching part is the important part of the whole thing is making sure it's a match. But values and qualities and personality, it's not enough to say that that's the only thing that matters. You know, when people mm -hmm. say, write a pros and cons list, what are you looking for? What do you want? And what don't you want? And how much of each do you get? It's not enough. So yeah, that's what I want. And those things have to be aligned. But if those are aligned, does that make for a perfect match? Nope. We need to also look at what I call the fears, which are what relationship fears do I have that I'm coming in with? Doesn't matter who I'm in a relationship with. I will have these fears because they're within me. You either do or don't trigger those fears. So I am afraid of I don't know. If your parents got divorced, you might be afraid of getting divorced. If somebody left you, you might be afraid of abandonment. If somebody cheated on you, you might have an anxiety and a fear of somebody not being loyal, right? We have that. Whatever that is, we all have something. And some of those triggers are very mild and some are very strong. But we want to make sure that we have a partner that does not trigger my fear to a high degree. Because I'm going to have it, I'm going to work on it for my lifetime, but I can't be triggered to a very high degree. And the last category is what I call bothers. Bothers are unique to the person you're dating, okay? You get all the good, you get all the <laughs> qualities, yay! And then you get this other stuff and you're like, ew. <laughs> like, ick. Like, oh, I don't want ick. that. Ick, right? It just... It comes with the package. Now, the question is, what package are you going to get? So it's kind of like candy, but sour candy. It's still candy, but it's sour. It's like not your favorite thing and you eat it. And you're like, oh, 
oh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Oh, you know, but like it's it's hard to get through. So those that ick is the stuff that's hard to get through, but it shouldn't be impossible and it shouldn't be irritating to a factor of not livable, right? So for some people, I'm trying to think of what people put on their list, but for some people, uh, it could be a physical look, right? Their physical mm. look is like, it's just, uh, and other people, you look at them and you're like, no, no, that I can't do, right? Like mm. I, I, I'm a good person, but I just, it's not a look that I can handle. Or it might be a behavior. It might be it might be something else that's not a value, that's not a fear. It should be just something about them that kind of bothers you. You know, like one one woman was dating this guy and he was always like, and he like winked at you and pointed and gave you like one of those like, you know, right? And she's like, Elisa, it like makes my skin crawl. And I was like, okay, there's making your skin crawl. And there's like, that's irritating. I don't like it. I wish he had a different habit, but that's like his thing. It's like his signature trademark move. And she's like, no, it makes my skin crawl. And I was like, okay, so if you really can't handle it and it's a deal breaker, then it's a deal breaker. But all that good that you really like, you're going to give up over that. Can you really not handle it? And she said, no, but somebody else who dated him next said yes, and they got married. So for them, it bothered them, but it wasn't a deal breaker, right? Anything that's a bother is a potential deal breaker. It's maybe going to ruin your relationship because it cannot exist because you can't handle it. Otherwise, you're like, yeah, I could live with it, but I don't like it. So I expect people to live with things that they don't like, that aren't their favorite, but only because also there's a whole quantity of things that are wonderful. And because those things that you don't like that aren't your favorite, it's not a huge trigger that is something that you really, really can't handle. It's so interesting to me that you've put in your process your like your soulmate clarity process the ick thing because I think in the world of dating now the ick has become such a big thing it's like you hear it time and time again I hear it from my clients who are dating it's like I got the ick and that's it they just immediately cast somebody out so Mm. I think it's a good benchmark to have to be like how ick is the ick? <laughs> right, right. Okay, okay. So I love that, right? And I'm, I like numbers. So on a scale of one to 10, if 10 is the highest, if you are at a 10 with an ick, it is called a deal breaker. That's what an ick deal breaker is. If mm. you're at a five, you might not like it, but you can totally live with it. If you're at like a seven, right? You have to also, you also should put into perspective what other type of icks have I experienced it? How well have I handled them? How much good is there really good? And, and am I going to let this ruin my relationship? You only need one thing in any category, qualities, fears, or values. Mm. You only need one deal breaker, potential deal breaker to be the deal breaker in any category. And even if it's a wonderful, amazing relationship, if you will not accept that this is your partner, then you shouldn't marry them. You can't. Right. But something that's coming up for me is in a question that's coming up is, can you ever confront an ick? Can you, you know, do you recommend ever that if somebody, if if you have your clients who are going on dates and there's something like you see, there's a lot of potential for a really great relationship, maybe they're value based and, you know, everything's aligned, but then there is this one thing, for example, the, you know, the, the click thing, or maybe somebody has like, I don't know, sometimes I hear things like smell or or breath and things like this is it okay to speak to the other person about it like do you recommend that or is it like you should take that person as they are and not expect them to change 
Yeah, it's a good question. So the question that I would first ask is, is it something that can or will change? So let's take breath, for example. Mm. Unless a person's going to completely change their diet, that is how they are going to smell. So they could chew gum, they can have mints, there's a lot of things that they can do. And we could, you know, superficially fix it, but it's not really going to fix it. If we're talking about body odor, I have had clients who dated somebody and like they didn't wear deodorant. It was part of their natural thing. <laughs> and the other person's like, I can't stand that smell. Like it's really a problem. I said, well, it's not going to change and they're not going to change because they believe in this philosophically, right? But if somebody's not married to a philosophy and they just didn't realize it, like, oh, I forgot to put deodorant on or I put this kind on and you don't like that smell, but you like this smell, there, there could be room for shifting. But here's where it gets a little tricky, right? How much am I going to change you to be what I need? And then even if you get into a box of what I need, you're still going to change again. I'm not really accepting you. The problem is on my end, even if you shift and change, I still have to accept that where you started might be a baseline of where you might end up. Like we could end up married and you might revert back to this yeah. and I need to be okay. With me, acceptance is so important. I need to be okay with this because if not, a potential deal breaker in a marriage equals divorce. It doesn't equal deal breaker. It equals divorce. And that's what I want to avoid. So if I accept you and who you are and what's going on, and I don't like it. I'm not saying like. Like and accept are different. You like what you like. You like what you value. Great. But every package comes with good and other. It's not bad. It's just not what you prefer. So if you don't prefer it, go, I don't prefer this. Maybe it'll get better over time. Maybe it won't. But I accept that this is where my human is. Here's another thing. Sorry, I'm going to keep going with this thought. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> so what I know is that over time, let's say, for example, somebody does that little, you know, and that's their thing, right? And let's say you don't say anything because you're like, ah, it doesn't really irritate me. So two things are probably going to happen. Over time, they might even do it more, right? It's their thing. You do it and then you get it. It's responsive. It happens at the table. You see it more and more, whatever. So they start doing it more. But I also know that over time, mostly people start to be able to handle it more and more, right? So just for example, you walk into your house and there's, I don't know, a, a piece of paint that's chipped, right? The first time you see it, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, my paint is chipped. Like there's this chunk out of my wall. What's happening? You're going to freak out, okay? If you don't fix that paint chip, most people, not everybody, but most people won't even notice it in about two weeks. In about two weeks, it's just like, or it'll be there and they'll be like, it's like not even a thing. You know, there's so many other things that are wrong with the house. Forget about the paint chip. Like whatever. It's a chunk out of my wall. Who cares? It, you don't see it anymore. It becomes invisible and there's so many other things to deal with. So even if he's going more and more, you're just like, that's just his shtick. It's just his thing. And like, it doesn't, like, I got, I got bigger fish to fry. I've got bigger problems to deal with. This is like, you know, nothing. But I, I, I agree. I also think that like, in addition to this, when we're first dating somebody, our mind is always looking for the negative, especially if you like, have lots of perceptions of how somebody should be or how you expect them to be. So it's like, you're looking for the paint chip. You literally go onto right. the date and you're like looking on the wall for all the like problems. Right. And so the shtick is going to stand out more. Whereas the more that you date somebody or the more that you get to know them, then hopefully you're 
obviously feel like the connection, but your brain will become less focused on the bad and more focused on the good if that good stuff is there. So then the paint chip becomes less relevant because there's good stuff there. And to add on to that, even when you see the bad stuff, because like your eye naturally looks for that and notices that right away. On a first date, you see that and you see some good stuff, okay? Let's call it that I see 50-50, right? And I'm like, oh, it's not convincing enough. I should go on a second date. But that was only a first date. So just for example, you go on a second date, third, fourth, fifth. Let's say I get you to five dates. Now you have five dates worth of data and information. How many hours worth of data and information do you have? Well, on the first date, maybe you only have two hours plus another three hours and four hours, whatever. We add it up. Maybe you now have 20 hours, okay? So you've got the paint chip over here compared to 20 hours of information. Now, either there might be the paint chip and another 27 things that you really can't stand and you're like, whoa, I'm done. Or the paint chip is like, wow, that's like all you have compared to all this amazingness about you. I would have never known that had I not gotten past that first date. Oh my gosh, after five dates, actually, you're a pretty decent human, like much better than I originally thought, but it's because we don't have enough data. But when you do it on a first date, 50-50, I'm like half in, half out. By a fifth date, I might be 80% in or even 75%. It's still enough to go like, wow, my perspective shifted so much and and there's real potential here or the opposite, which is like, okay, the paint chip, <laughs> that was like the tip of the iceberg. Man, <laughs> woo, you are a disaster and we are done. <laughs> This links really well to what I wanted to ask you about to the date until you hate him, which was something that I think came up a lot in the TV series, because I think in millennial culture anyway, if you are like 100% sure after the first date, many people say, I'm just not going to carry on. There'll be somebody else there who, you know, let's kind of keep swiping, let's keep going on other dates. Can you explain okay. a little bit about date until you hate him? I think it's basically linked to what we're, what we've been talking about already of giving somebody the chance to see all the other qualities and to get to know all the data. And like you said, right. the hours of getting to know someone. Right. So first of all, it's giving somebody else a chance, but it's also giving you a chance to get to mm. know them. It's both sides, right? We have to give them a chance to show who they are. We have to give us a chance to actually see and realize who they are. Date them till you hate them. It's funny because I hate the word hate. I don't hate a lot of things, but I really don't like the word hate. It's the exact opposite of everything I believe in. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm all about dating relationships and love, but it is the clearest way to say, just pause for a moment. Like you can always dump them next time, right? You can really always dump them next time. Mm -hmm. If it's not a hundred percent, no, if you're not crystal clear that there is a deal breaker, that there is an ick that is not changing, then we want to keep going. And Mm -hmm. it does put things into perspective. It slows people down. It kind of makes them humor themselves a little bit. They're like, fine, I don't hate them. I guess I'll go out again, right? It just takes off the edge and it empowers people to make what I think is quality dating decisions and to give to give the relationship the potential that it deserves and the time that it deserves. Like if you're bothering to go on a first date, then why aren't we bothering to go on a second or a third date unless it's a hard no? Yeah, I I really agree with it. And I can say from my own personal experience with my uh, partner now that we went on a few dates and we were actually friends for a long time before. And if I would have just 
completely said, oh my God, no, it's, you know, I, we wouldn't be together now. So I and love, I, I love the I concept. I want friends who date. It makes me so happy because I know that if you could be friends, then you could be in a great relationship because friendship is one of the foundations of being in a healthy relationship. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, but it was so funny to go through that personal journey of like, oh, this person is great as a friend, but I'm just not sure. And it was a case of like, he's so lovely. He's just so lovely. And, and being attracted to like somebody, other people who are like less emotionally available. Yeah. And this person was standing right in front of me and it actually took a coach. I think it was a, a coach um, who was coaching me to say, but what about this person who's like such a lovely friend? And then I was like, actually, you know what? yeah like let's let's give it a go and and yeah a year and a half later still <laughs> still here um, yeah so I wanted to ask you as well about the about age-related matchmaking so I think mm-hmm. you know this is the turning 30 podcast and yeah. a lot of the clients that I work with are 30 plus and they're feeling you know left behind feeling that they should have met somebody by, by now. And what I see, and, and I'm genuinely curious to see what, what you see from your side, is I see that people come with almost like more requirements, more, the list is longer. They feel more pressure to have this person set, you know, set in with their life. What do you see with your clients? Obviously, I'm sure that you match make clients from, from different, different ages. Yeah. How do you see that age affects the almost the mindset of being ready to meet somebody or or ready to be set up with somebody sometimes i've heard well if i've waited this long right then i at least want to have something to show for it that's mm. really in alignment that really makes sense that really feels good so there's like you're saying this sense of whatever i needed to have before it has to be really amazing now because I, i've been waiting so long and and there's a certain expectation also from family and friends right? Like there's a pressure to get married, but there's an expectation. Well, he better be worth the wait. She better be worth the wait. You know, you, you've been, and you're, you're such a catch, right? I'm so happy that people have good self, like self-esteem. It's really important, but like, wow, I'm such an amazing catch that like, I deserve this language really irritates me, but like, I deserve somebody amazing. Everybody needs to be with their partner. Deserve what deserve, don't deserve. Like, That's just how the world's built. It's built that you should find the right person that fits you. Do you deserve it? Do you want it? Do you need it? It's just like the way that the world works, right? The sun rises, the sun sets, the sun rises, the sun sets, the moon comes out, the sun comes out, right? Like this is the way the world works. The world works that you should be with the right partner. Do you want it? Do you need it? Do you deserve it? No, it's just, it's like nature, but it's so also against nature to find that person. It's so difficult to say, I grew up here and you're there and families, cultures, different things, even as similar as a a couple could be, there are so many differences that to bring a couple together and actually make a match really is nothing short of a miracle. So what I hear is that, yes, there are longer lists that people are making the other thing also happens, which is the opposite, which is people shorten their list. Just give me your top three things. That's it. Don't look for anything else. Nothing. Nothing. It's not worth it. Don't wait any longer. 
okay, there's no way you, me, or anybody else in the world is making a list of three things and feeling satisfied. I know yeah. people talk about it. I know it's a very popular concept. It is. Not, I am not in alignment with that at all because as a human being, we all have more preferences. Think about a job. I've got more preferences about what I want to do in the world than three. For mm-hmm. sure, for a human being that I'm going to have to live with, I definitely have more than three. So for me, this we talked about this, these qualities and the personality and the values. It's really like a top 10 list. And then after that, it doesn't matter because if I feel I'm feeling satisfied with the top 10 things that I value that I'm really looking for, then even if you don't have some of the other things, you don't have them, but wow, you really meet my top criteria, but three just, it's not satisfying enough. Mm. And do you think that people find it harder to meet somebody the older that they get? Options start to shift. People start to say there's not as many options. There's not as high quality options. People have all sorts of language around this. And I would tell you, take a minute, look around the world. Who's getting married? Young, old, tall, short, fat, skinny, from any country, wealthy, poor, makes no difference. People are getting married. So When people start to talk about options not being as good or as plentiful or as all of those things, yes, there will be fewer options. Like look at, you know, same, whatever. It's it's the same as as we age up, right? So so there's more and then there's less people in the world and there's less options and people marry Mm -hmm. off. Yes, there will be fewer options. That's clear. But it doesn't mean that they're any better or worse. You know, oh, why are you still single? that question right Me too. no oh, you're not my broken. worst question there's nothing wrong with you and you're not broken right god said not today that's it that's why i'm single that's it yeah that's yeah. it that's the answer yeah and i also like to flip it on its head that of course there are less of the dating pool open to you because more people have by a certain age partnered often been with somebody else but at the same time you know yourself so much more you're bringing so much more of yourself to the table than when you were younger, mm-hmm. but there's also like, you can reframe it. Like, of course, that less options, that might be balanced out by you maybe feel a lot more empowered as a person to go and find your partner. So I think that there's kind of like both sides of the coin there. Right. right. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I know, I know that we don't have much longer, was that how important do you think things on the list are that are like aesthetic and superficial? Because I, I really think I was looking at, when, when you was going to interview, I was looking back and remembering, you know, some of the couples from the series. And I think the one, you probably know who I'm going to say, the one person that stood out and one of my friends was like, you have to ask about him in the, in the podcast interview was who I think he was in, in Blonde LA. hair, and, blue eyes, he was yeah. speaking. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm sure you've been asked about him many a time on many a, a, yeah. a podcast or a panel. But he was very, very set on a certain aesthetic for the woman that he, he wanted to meet. And, you know, I think that it's absolutely okay to have these wants or, you know, the want to be attracted to your partner, as we were speaking about before, but that really stood out and I think caused a lot of dialogue around the episode because it was almost like quite triggering, I think, for a lot of women to hear how many requests that he had. So I'd love to hear a little bit from you what you think about having those more like aesthetic things on the list. Mm-hmm. And also, did Ori find it? Like, is he with <laughs> someone now? I also really want to know I, that. I heard he's engaged and oh, she is, wow. of course, blonde hair, blue eyes, and he was speaking yes. <laughs> oh my God. So he got it in the end. Okay, good for Ori. Yes. yes. 
So, okay. So looks go into a category for me. It's not a value. It's not a quality that we are seeking. Okay. Qualities are the inner part of who we are. It might be a fear. I might be afraid that I'm not going to get a look that I like. I might be afraid that I'm not going to be satisfied, or it might be an ick factor. It might be a bother. It might be something that really doesn't work for me. And we all have a different degree of physical preference. So I talk to a lot of people and I tell them, look, personality doesn't sag, okay? You might get somebody with gorgeous skin, whatever. God willing, you should be married for another 50, 80, whatever it is, years, you know, should live long, healthy lives together, right? You're you're both going to get wrinkly. You're both going to grow old. That's called normal if you're so blessed to be that age. And this is just what it is. But personality gets better over time and looks don't. But there has to be an amount of attraction. So I'm using the word amount. Mm. And for different people, it's different. For Uri, it has to be spot on at a 10. For some people, it needs to be within a range, seven, eight. But we have to find our partner appealing, attractive, and we have to want to be able to like go in the room, close the door and spend time with them alone. It cannot just be like, I I need to want to give my partner a hug and a kiss and and snuggle with them. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be like fireworks, overwhelming, amazing, a perfect look. Different people are different. And there's some people have a different tolerance level for looks. It needs to be baseline something that you can not just live with, that you can feel drawn to. Yeah. Totally agree with you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Elisa, for coming on. It's been really fun to talk to you. I feel like we could talk for hours more about this topic. Um, where can my audience learn more about you? And if they want to be a match made by you, how, how can that happen? <laughs> you can find me, you can go to my name, elizabenshalom.com. A-L-E-E-Z-A. And you can learn more about me there. We have matchmaking. We have coaching. We have courses. We have soulmate clarity. We have a dating detox. Like you name it. If it has to do with dating, relationships, and love, we cover it. Amazing. And is there going to be another series of Jewish matchmaking? We are waiting to hear. Israel's in a little bit of a compromised position. So we, you know. Things are on hold. Yeah, we don't film in war zones, so we're on hold for the moment. Yeah, uh, well, I'll keep it all my fingers crossed and I'll be watching patiently uh, to see if it's going to come out. And I hope that we'll get to meet each other in person soon. Yes, I would love Um, that. Great. Thank you so much, Aliza. And I'll see everybody on the podcast next week. Thank you.